Hello, it's Charlotte's sister C. Farrell, host of Powered by Age, Canada's longest-running senior-led podcast that invites you to do what you love. This podcast is for you if you love writing or telling stories, if you love sharing poetry or doing interviews. This podcast is for you if you love working on ways to create age-friendly cities. This podcast is for you if you love learning how to tame technology and get more out of virtual events, if you love finding more ways to share your heritage or traditions. If you love any of these things, you can go beyond listening and join our weekly podcast group. Simply email pbaafc at gmail.com and put your name in the subject line. Powered by Age is sponsored by the Government of Canada, New Horizons Grant, the 411 Senior Center Society, and GNF Financial Group. This is Thursday, the 28th of November. No, <laughs> November's coming. <laughs> it's so close to November, it's October still. But it yeah. went by so fast. And next week, we'll have had a daylight savings change and everything. Uh, today, I'm Charlotte Farrell. I'm the host of Powered by Age. We are sharing our broadcast with CJSF. And we're talking about the difference, the resilience in older people's voices and stories. Mainstream TV gives very small amount of time, but yet there's a market. We are talking and doing a couple of sessions on putting your best voice forward because audiobooks have become a big seller. There's so many people doing audiobooks now that Audible, the first company with people having an audio copy of people's books, they are accepting recordings without having the book. So we're going to do a few of the put your best voice possible out there. And then we're going to look at some of the ways that you have to do a pitch. Everything in creative arts, you have to do a pitch. The writers, Leslie, what is it called when a writer sends something in proposing to do a story? There's a proposal for publication. That's more of an academic thing. That's what I did when I was trying to get my phonics book published. I guess for fiction, I'm not sure what it would be called. It's also called a query letter where you send a query, but the query is pitching. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And then for films, you have to do the same thing. So we're going to look a little bit at um, some pitches for something that you have in mind that you would like to have as an audiobook or to be on the front page of the uh, Powered by Age website has a section called Spins, stories, poems, interviews, and novelties that people have recorded, sometimes first in our group session, but then other times we've just cut it or excerpted it from a session. And they're things that people can just go on to the podcast and listen to. And we've gotten comments among those emails that I tell you I find on Monday morning. A lot of people send an email and say, hey, I like that story. Are you going to do any more spins? So the three of you were welcoming and today we might be sampling some things that you might want to put on and we want to say to people that are listening to the podcast or the broadcast we welcome and encourage you to get involved with us and to record a story or a poem or a piece of your creative arts or to do an interview one of the goals for the Powered by Age podcast program was to create Canada's largest reservoir of interviews that older people have done of people that are interesting to them. It doesn't have to be somebody that was a front page story on the national, but people that are interesting uh, to you so that these reservoirs will be in 
the, the library system. So without further ado, I'm going to ask three of the people that came on first on our show to introduce themselves. And do you have a coin? Do you happen to have a coin on your desk, on your person? <laughs> no money. <laughs> okay. I'm going to have you imagine that you have a penny and think <laughs> of a number that this penny is like the penny might be 1967 or 1942 or 1920 and when you introduce yourselves i want you to say what the most remarkable thing is about what that penny would have been worth in that year okay leslie yeah. Okay, 1948 uh, was a stellar year because that's the year I was born. <laughs> okay. And what types of things do you write? Um, I write short stories, flash fiction, poetry, and travel writing. Uh, I'm currently working on a travel memoir of a trip to Japan, which maybe will publish as an audiobook. I'm not sure. Well, from what you've read of that chapter about the bath, I think it will make a really interesting audiobook. <laughs> Neil? You. Well, uh, if I'm going to continue the trend, 1940. God, that was a long time ago. <laughs> I write poetry from the other side. I have an angel that speaks to me about poetry, that talks to me. And I write her whistle. I'm really just a scribe. Uh, I write the words down. And in fact, I've started another story this morning, and I will read it. It's only a couple paragraphs, but I will read this as my contribution. So one of the remarkable things is we've done now, I think we're at our 78th episode. And right from the start, uh, when we switched from meeting physically in the building to have our podcast sessions to being on Zoom, almost every week, Neil has written a new poem. He says, ah, I wrote a poem. <laughs> <laughs> this is not a poem. This is a short story. But yes, you're right. Okay. Uh, Delsa? Whoa. Okay. 1969. It's not my birthday. I was born earlier than that, much earlier. 1969, I came to this country. 1969, when the um, Miss Philippines beca became Miss Universe. 1969, when they had the first man on the moon. Wow. Yeah, yeah. So that year, wow. That's a lot that of was a very good year. On, my, on, on the year that I came to Canada, yeah. You and what types a... of things do you like to write? Mainly memoir. Because I'm not a good writer, I cannot uh, write fiction. It has to come from the heart, uh, you know, uh, experiences I've been through. Today I'm not, because last week I read a uh, short poem, and this week I'm reading something from this book. I don't know whether you guys are familiar with this book. Okay. Neil, look, an Indian guru. Are you guys familiar with this man? What's no. his name? Sadhguru. Yeah, I no? know that. I know oh, that. I think I've seen him on the internet. Oh, yes. my gosh. Oh, I have all of his books. Yeah, I'm going to read something here. Very short. Okay. <laughs> all right, so what the activity we were doing uh, last week, 
was one where you read something the way that you would just normally read it and then read it as slow as you could imagine them saying the words one, two, three, see the tree. <laughs> and then as fast as you could read it. And we were learning that that creates a new association. Isn't the idea that you would ever go onto recording an audio book or doing a recording on the, the radio, speaking that fast or that slow, but it makes a new feeling, a new relationship with you and the words. And so some people who sometimes worry or feel really self-conscious when reading, once you've laughed at yourself or laughed at the words and how they sound fast, it makes you feel much more comfortable when you are going to be reading and knowing it's being recorded. So Leslie spoke first about the memoir. Are you going to read a different section first, slow, then fast? Well, actually, I was thinking last week I read one paragraph from it, and it's quite short. Did you want me to play with it again? I could maybe read the first paragraph in, in different ways. What about go to the last two paragraphs? Okay. The section I read last week was about a crowd of soccer fans. So if I go to the end... I say, so shall I read this very slowly first or shall I read it normally? What should I do? Read it slowly, and but tell us what it is again. Yeah, okay. So um, where we are is we're in a, uh, a suburb, a small town outside of Tokyo, and the um, Asia Cup soccer match is happening. So there's basically a street party. The bar has uh, TV screens hung off of the eaves of their roof. And there are like thousands of people in the street all milling around watching this soccer match and drinking beer. And it gets very exciting because um, it's between Japan and Iran. And in the last 10 minutes of the game, Japan scores a goal and ties the game up and the crowd actually goes crazy. And then when the game ends, there's like this whole street party happening. So... Um, the last paragraph that I had scheduled to write was actually the paragraph I had I read last week. Maybe I'll read the paragraph before that. Okay. Yeah. Bike riders dismounted and attempted to navigate the throng on foot. Waiters from the bar squeezed through holding trays of beer above their heads. And if I carry on, this gets very boring when I read it slowly like that, doesn't it? <laughs> <laughs> it could fall asleep. <laughs> so then if I go to the next sentence and read it very quickly, weary office workers push their way through the crowd. Fans move slightly to let them pass without breaking eye contact with the game. A fan bumped into a businessman spilling beer on his shirt. <laughs> Okay. Then it gets difficult to understand, right? <laughs> right. Then, then go do the next sentence slow. Okay. <laughs> a fan bumped into a businessman spilling beer onto his shirt and down the front of his neat black suit. Another thing that Nancy had us doing last week was moving our head. And that seemed to change the sense of it as well. So maybe I'll read the next sentence wagging my head. Okay. okay. <laughs> like you're saying no. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Although I expected a confrontation, I was surprised. 
both men bowed and apologized, and the worker continued on his way. I could not imagine a scene like this happening in Vancouver. Let's read one more sentence fast. Okay. Drinking in public places is not allowed, nor could I imagine such a scene in the UK where an incident like this in a crowd of drunken soccer hooligans would have quickly erupted into violence. Okay. Can I ask anybody, what do you remember from the backgrounds of the place? It's outside of Tokyo. Do you remember more from the, the fast parts or from the slower? From what I actually read. I don't like either. <laughs> I didn't like them either. <laughs> I was I was more focused of, of the uh, speed that uh, you know the law and the fast. Yeah, I didn't really focus on the content of what uh, mm. Leslie was reading. Yeah. What I noticed, my mind was playing a picture. I was seeing the bar. I was seeing the the beer splashing. When you were going fast, it was like my my brain was was making the picture of what you were mm -hmm. seeing and seeing this commotion going on in the bar. I couldn't remember anything from the slow part because my brain there's a part of my brain saying, "Get on with it, get on with it." <laughs> yeah, exactly. You turn off, right? <laughs> okay, so we will have. Neil, do the same thing, but we're going to come back to around when we're going to connect being with the words. Let's say you had to have an audition and someone wanted you to memorize it. What would you do? What does it sound like? How does it feel that you've played with the words a bit more than if you had not and were asked, you know, details about it? Well, uh... I hesitate to share my work if it's going to be bastardized with slow and fast. And no, no, I'm serious. That 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 I think it's. I the words are precious. The words are, you know, I yeah, that's okay. We play a game, but but. but I, I'm reading something that is the start of another adventure. It's another uh, Leslie. When you read your stuff, when you read your your stuff, your material, uh, do you not get a sense that that the words are coming from? Uh, some place uh, near your heart. Some, uh, I'm saying that you have feelings about what it is that you're reading. Yeah, and generally, by the time it's ready to read, I've reworked it, I don't know, umpteen different times. And it is sort of the final product. It's a creative act, right? Yeah. And I am trying to convey meaning. Um, this exercise that we're doing is basically a reading exercise rather than a writing exercise. So, I mean, we could be reading a recipe for pancakes or anything and doing the same thing. It's the content doesn't really matter in the exercise that we're doing today, right? Well, the content is partly because in preparing to be on the radio or preparing to be anywhere where you would be reading your work, uh, 
the program or people that work with you around having your show are working on having you get out of the words, because my words are very dear to my heart. I've had to do this for a film class and different things, and like the words are close to my heart. But he said, inside your heart, the people are just suffocating because you're so holding on to your children, you're not mm-hmm. letting them really free. So that we see the 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 differences. It's not that you would ever in the broadcast or in the audio book or whatever you're recording, record it that way, but it just is in changing the relationship because sometimes um, and this is a vision somebody you know gave me because of a mother. It's like they're, they're like your children, and you're holding them so close, and it, you could even hear that you're worrying about how people will perceive it. So playing with it gives you that kind of comfort of then when you're talking about it, other people can feel the words because then you just develop a different relationship. The other way that I'm seeing it, I just finished. I was re- videoing somebody that was doing an audition, and the tenseness of the words. I said, you know, laugh at the words, read the things and laugh at because the tension, you're so worried about how are people going to perceive it. But when you know, okay, I laughed at it, the words didn't get angry with me, but it gives a different comfort level. And so Mm -hmm. it also, as writers, we do you know, right from the heart. We'll spend all day rewriting and rewriting and rewriting something. But yet in reading it to someone, someone says, I love that. What happened to the brown dog? You killed the brown dog. <laughs> it's because in our head, we love the brown dog. But I think it's just it's just an exercise. And then also because the market for audiobooks is very big. The webinar that I've two or three webinars I've taken on audiobooks, they've shown the difference, you know, the person that's going to be like the equivalent of the editor receiving the material and deciding whether they're going to produce it or not. It's from the energy of people's voices of whether people use different inflections or whether they leave mm. breathing room. So it's just for people, some, several people at different times have said, yes, they think they would like to go forward with an audio book or they'd like to go forward with the radio show. The people who used to do the, the radio plays spent hours playing with the things before they did those you know, radio plays mm. that almost all of us. Nessa, did you listen to, to radio as a child? Did, oh, yeah. absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that yeah. was my entertainment. Yeah. That's what. Uh, that's how come I got into uh, my interest in languages because I used to, I was in Europe, right, and I used to listen to the radio and I could tune into different countries and hear different languages all the time. Yeah, yeah. yeah I'm going to read something from... The Artist Way, A Spiritual Path to Higher Creativity, which just happened to be sitting beside me. And I will read. I will play your game using her words, okay? As artists, we cannot control all the criticisms we will receive. We cannot make our professional critics more healthy, or more loving, or more constructive than they are. But we can learn to comfort our artist child over unfair criticisms. We can learn to find friends with whom we can safely vent our pain, we can learn not 
to <clears throat> deny and stuff our feelings when we have been artistically savaged. As artists, we cannot control the criticisms we receive. We cannot make our professional critics more healthy or more loving or more constructive than they are. But we can learn to comfort our artist's child over unfair criticisms. We can learn to find friends with whom we can safely vent our pain. We can learn not to deny and stuff our feelings when we have been artistically savaged. I would like the in-between of that reading. I think part of the problem with both of the fast and the slow readings is that there's no stress and intonation. Everything's flat, Mm. right? So there's no emotion. There's Mm. nothing. There's nothing to hang your hat on to tell you what are the key words, what are the important points. Mm. It just comes to you as one steady stream. Mm. Yeah, but if I have to pick, uh, having said that I like the in-between, I would pick the first one. I think whatever the speed that we choose to read our uh, stories will based upon the content. For example, with lessons reading, it is in a stadium. Like, you know, I think you can get away with that being fast because, you know, right away you're thinking, oh, yeah, oh, you know, a player's running. Da, da. Like we, we used to listen to the, 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 the uh, radio uh, talks. So, oh, that's how they speak, right? because they're following the games like in real time. But with the Neil's um, reading right away from the get-go, he said something is spiritual. So I expect something that is probably slow, melodic, but it's too slow and it's too fast. Yeah, and then I the idea what... isn't that you would ever read it, read it those two ways, but it's getting comfortable with the words. They're encoding mm-hmm. in you differently. So then you feel like playing if you have some point where you say the trees were going so slow outside but then suddenly a big wind came uh, it's just that variation in range you learn to use it or you feel comfortable playing with the words from doing the exercise yeah it's not only speed though right because um it, you can read slowly and you can also incorporate stress right and you can vary your intonation and the same thing with the fast reading. You can read quickly, but again, you need to have, you know, changing stress. And when you concentrate only on the speed, you forget about the other aspects of reading. Yeah. That's why there was a variety of exercises, because some it was mm-hmm. to use, change the voice, change the gender, mm-hmm. read the part that was for the male as a female, just changing it so that in your head you're developing this de- discomfort with other parts of of what you are reading and the variety, changing it from an angry tone, what might have been in an angry tone, reading it in uh, a happy tone. Again, you're Mm. playing with and just developing a different relationship with the words and how you're going to communicate them if you're doing an audio book or if you are, you know, recording something for like our website or for uh, CBC now has a lot of the podcasts. But, you know, I went to one of the trainings that a radio station had around just reading the stories. And they were saying, almost like a director, the person was directing, speed it up, you know, bring it in, need it. So this is just an exercise. I mean, these are different exercises to get you comfortable with the idea that if you want to go to another level, 
such as having a podcast or having a spot or segment on a radio show or a podcast is a private radio show. People ask, what is a podcast? It's an individual's private radio show. So Delta, you don't yeah. have to do faster. So you could do tones. You could do, do you know, a happy tone, slow tone. You can just, with a small part of it, just by variety. <laughs> I just want to read it in my normal way. Okay. Because even though even though this is not my writing, I really like this topic in this book. It, it's really, this book, this, this uh, paragraph that I'm going to read is about uh, fear and anxieties and insecurities is about a seeker asking a guru about fears and insecurities. So here we go. Sadhguru, as I walk this path, I am becoming aware of the many fears and insecurities I have within me. How do I leave this behind and move ahead? The guru said, you don't have to leave your fears and insecurities because they don't really exist. You keep creating them unconsciously. If you don't create them, they don't really exist. Why you create them and how to stop creating them? That is your question. The fundamental reason why fear has arisen in you is one way of looking at it is, is this vast existence of which you don't know the beginning or the end. You're just a little human being being the small entity that you are right now, naturally there is fear. It is overwhelming. There is fear and insecurity about what will happen to you. As long as you identify it as a physical body, as long as your experience of life is limited to your physical and mental faculties, fear and insecurity are inevitable. It is just that different people may be at different levels of fear and insecurity. Today, if your life is happening well, you might have forgotten your insecurity. Tomorrow, if your life is turned upside down, you will be reminded because it's always within you. Only when a person begins to experience himself beyond the limitation of his physical body and mind, then this person can become free from insecurities insecurities and fear. I like the second paragraph. Experiencing yourself beyond the physical is what we're referring to as spiritual. When I say spiritual, don't think it is about going to a temple. Don't think it is about praying for this or that. If you look at your prayers, 95% of the prayers in the world are all about asking for something. Fundamentally, asking for protection or for being taken care of. There's nothing spiritual about it. It is plain basic survival. In most people, the very basis of prayer is fear and insecurity. If prayer exists in your life only as an act, it is obscene. Being reverential towards one aspect and not being so to everything else, if you become prayerful, that is wonderful. And if you're using an act of prayer towards Becoming that quality, that's fine. Now, if you're rooting your survival through the heavens, that's very stupid. Even worms and insects take care of their own survival. So when I say spiritual, I am talking about you beginning to experience that is which is not physical. Once this spiritual dimension is alive, 
once you start experiencing yourself beyond the limitation of the physical and the mental, only then there is such thing as fear. Fear is just the creation of an overactive and out-of-control mind. I don't know if I can do this fast. You don't have to leave your fears and insecurities because they don't really exist. You keep creating them unconsciously. If you don't create them, they don't really exist. Why you create them and how to create them, to stop creating them? That is your question. If one month, <laughs> I can hear. I can even read fast. Okay. And let's do very slow. You don't have. You don't have to. You don't have to leave your fears and insecurities because they don't really exist. You keep creating them unconsciously. You, if you don't create them, they don't really exist. I don't know. <laughs> what do you think? Yeah, you know, the interesting thing is just that um, when you read it slowly, you also place stress on different words. It wasn't completely flat. And I found with something with as much depth and content that you were reading, it was, you know, there are a lot of very complex ideas there. And we need that read slowly so we can absorb it, right? So it gives us chance to think about the reading, to think about what you're saying. But you didn't have that monotone. I, I found it much easier to listen to because you were actually mm. putting stress yes, in different yes. words. Mm -hmm. Thank you. And I think mixing them up because you know what research says, how long people listen to you before they decide whether they're going to listen anymore? Yeah. How long? 30, okay. 30 seconds. Yeah. Not very what do long. you think, Leslie? Uh, I know it's very short. Um, I've never actually read it, but I would suspect somewhere around, I don't know, maybe 20 seconds. Yeah, 15 seconds, 15 to 20 seconds. Actually, now they're saying eight seconds. People, oh. <laughs> <laughs> when they are flipping, because people are flipping sometimes yeah. around different podcasts or flipping the channels things. So on every eight yeah. seconds, they make the decision of whether they're going to stick with it or not. And so the elevator speech, they used to tell people, you know, have your 30 second elevator speech, play the game, you know, Bill Gates is in the elevator. And then they said, <laughs> have your 15 second speech. That's what they were telling, you know, when you went to these business makers, mixers, now they're saying the same thing, have your eight second pitch, uh, because after that, the person has already their brain. People have been socialized to listen differently. If you look at, I had grandchildren that I've watch Sesame Street with and Easy Reader and all those things. And every five seconds they were switching. In one of the film classes I had, we had to change our focus, change something every five seconds. Or when we were doing a magazine show where there's camera one, camera two, camera three, the person said every four seconds they change. Well, I didn't believe that. So wow. I had the assignment to look at an award show and a different show. And every four seconds it changed either the camera, the angle, uh, the, the yeah. distance, the panning view. So people have been socialized to these quick changes in attention. So having something, the, the fast and slow was just one example, but the other thing in tonality, in the breathing, you know, because there were some things when you were talking about fear, I got it, you know, that the message is a lot about fear. And so sometimes the stressing the word fear or same fear, that those are things that circle around the message because the point is he's saying that you should you know not be fearful this fearful is that the opposite of spirituality and prayer 
from what you said, <laughs> these are things that clicked and hung in memory. What things, are there any particular things from what she read that hang and remain in your brain, Neil? No, no, not really. Uh, that that I, I tried hard to pay attention uh, to, uh, to, but there's nothing right I can say it just stands out. No. Uh, how about uh, being spiritual doesn't mean going to a temple. It is going beyond your mental and mental and physical perception of things. Okay. And, yeah, yeah. I think also Charlotte, Charlotte was saying, I think the attention span uh, because of the technology that we have nowadays is fast, fast, fast. I wouldn't be surprised if instead of four seconds, it's now down to two. <laughs> well, it's just when people make the choice to yeah. keep listening. Some other things that enhance people listening to a story are sounds. So if you were talking about the temple, but you heard the temple bells ringing or a little bit of chime, you'll, I've noticed that from you know reading five audio books. When I say reading, <laughs> I'm laying in my bed and I'm listening. And I can listen about 15 minutes before I go to sleep. But... I've just noticed different people, aside from differences in inflection, they do speed up their time and they do say tomorrow's not guaranteed. You have to go to the bank today. Ah, but when you go to the bank, you'll find that the tellers have got flowers. Today they're giving out fresh fruit. <laughs> just different little things that are inflections or sounds that help keep the person's brain from just being all at the same level. I think I have some clips from some audiobooks that may or may not play with this Zoom system. In the toaster feels as this close is from, to a return you this? to my old life as I've come. Or maybe it's my new life just beginning to announce itself. In the end, I didn't just make toast. I made cheese toast moving my slices of bread to the microwave and melting a fat mess of gooey cheddar between them. I then carried my plate outside to the backyard. I didn't have to tell anyone I was going. I just went. I was in bare feet, wearing a pair of shorts. The chill of winter had finally lifted. The crocuses were just starting to push up through the beds along our back wall. The air smelled like spring. I sat on the steps of our veranda, feeling the warmth of the day's sun still caught in the slate beneath my feet. A dog started barking somewhere in the distance, and my own dogs paused to listen, seeming momentarily confused. It occurred to me that it was a jarring sound for them, given that we didn't have neighbors, let alone neighbor dogs, at the White House. For them, all this was new. As the dogs loped off to explore the perimeter of the yard, I ate my toast in the dark, feeling alone in the best possible way. My mind wasn't on the group of guards with guns sitting less than 100 yards away at the custom-built command post inside our garage, or the fact that I... Okay. Who do you, you know who that is? That's Nancy. 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 Uh, who do you think it is? Nancy. 
Nancy. Nancy. Nancy. Nancy who? Sinclair. Sinclair. That was Michelle Obama. Yeah. Oh, no. oh. From her book, Becoming. Becoming, yeah. Her audio book, Becoming. Sounded like Nancy. When she mentioned the guards, I knew who it was. <laughs> no. Couldn't, yeah. couldn't, couldn't yeah. remember her name, but... Uh... Yeah. <laughs> It threw me off, you know why? Because every time I saw Nancy with that house, with a with a, with a, with a door that goes directly out into the garden, I almost picture her to be Nancy, even the, even before recognizing it could be Nancy. But you're right, Neil. Why would there be a guard? <laughs> right. Uh, yeah. She changes her voice quite a few times within. The reading, and then another thing that uh, Audible lets you do is speed up or slow down. So some of my people, if I want to go to sleep, <laughs> and they're very energetic, I put the speed, I slow the speed down. Others, if they're too slow, I speed it up. But there is uh, a difference in how people do this. There is, um, I was going to show you a contrast. Someone that does a meditation. Yeah, before you go on to the next one, Charlotte, I'd just like to comment on Michelle's reading um, that she does this very ordinary activity, making a toasted cheese sandwich and walking outside to eat it. Yes. And she makes it so interesting. Yes, by me noting each of the things that, that she paints an atmosphere, a picture of the atmosphere, which is something that I thought was similar when you were talking about the bathhouse that's where we see a, a connection between what we write and what we read, the description. Like Neil has a lot of description when we're in uh, Jane in the car or the guys within the treehouse, things that that give a person the picture. So the attention span is also what you've put in, the colors and the textures that you put into whatever it is you're describing. The bar scene, I was almost smelling the beer when Leslie was reading <laughs> about the bar scene. The words, word pictures, the speed and the intonation also help a person stay attached because you're smelling it. I mean, I could I could smell it. Uh, the message that um, the spiritual leader was giving when he was talking about the temple and when you go there to pray, I was picturing it. So some of the things that when you read it out aloud and you hear what people get from it, it helps you to see, even with your writing, more adjectives. Leslie, can you, you speak a little bit about with flash writing, how the adjectives, how that brings people into the story? Um, it's not necessarily always adjectives with flash. With flash, you've got such a limited number of words to deal with. So every single word has to count. So it could be an adjective. Um, you could write about senses. You could write about smell and taste um, or actions, everything. But everything has to be so condensed. And um, I tend in flash not to use adverbs, um, maybe not so many adjectives, maybe more nouns and verbs as well. Yeah, the one uh, and they're all important. Every single word is important. It's not you know, what part of speech it is, perhaps. But kind of like the cheesy smell. I, I did a class of um, creative writing in creative places, but it was also flash writing they had to do. And 
we played a game at the beginning of listing all the colors that were around. And one person got five colors, another person got 16 colors mm. because it was the difference in, it was the green grass, it was the emerald green stains on the wooden table that was, you know, splintery, rather than just saying it had splinters, but it was splintery, mm -hmm. so that in some cases, not a whole, you know, 16 <laughs> adjectives divided by commas, but just a particular way that you said, like the cheesy, the cheesy bread melting really stuck in your mind. You could picture it. So I think listening to other people's work, but also listening to our own work helps us see, are we developing the picture? Is it really giving people this sense of being there, this sense of feeling the people that you're talking about or the place that you're talking about? So both of you had something more. Let's hear more of your your memoir because this memoir uh, is possibly going to be on. Do you see putting part of it on our spin section? Um, I could do. I'm still it? working. I'm still on the first draft, right? So I haven't got the final form really nailed down yet. I'm still workshopping a lot of it. But what I could do here today is perhaps just read that whole scene for you, okay? Yeah. So as we headed back to the hotel, we turned the corner onto the main street. At Ricky's bar, we walked into full-blown soccer fever. Television screens suspended from the eaves of Ricky's roof were broadcasting a live transmission of the Asia Cup final from Iran. The street below was packed elbow to elbow with fans gripping red paper beer cups and gazing up at the game in progress. Bike riders dismounted and attempted to navigate the throng on foot. Waiters from the bar squeezed through, holding trays of beer above their heads. Weary office workers pushed their way through the crowd. Fans that moved slightly to let them pass without breaking eye contact with the game. A fan bumped into a businessman, spilling beer onto his shirt and down the front of his neat black suit. Although I expected a confrontation, I was surprised. Both men bowed and apologized, and the worker continued on his way. I could not imagine a scene like this happening in my hometown of Vancouver, where drinking in public places is not allowed. Nor could I imagine such a scene in the UK, where an incident like this in a crowd of drunken soccer hooligans would have quickly erupted into violence. The tension in the crowd did increase, however. The game progressed without Japan scoring any goals. Ten minutes before the end of the match, the score was a disappointing 1-0 for Iran. Then Japan scored just before the final whistle. The game ended in a 1-1 tie, guaranteeing a rematch. The crowd erupted into a giant roar. All discipline and polite self-control disappeared. A tide of pent-up energy was released. The entire crowd threw their hands in the air, and I heard them all burst into English as they chanted the team's slogan, We are Reds! We are Reds! As the cheering continued, fans threw their cups into the air. Stoic salarymen tried to avoid showers of beer as they pushed their way home through the solid wall of bodies. 
Remarkably, among all these hundreds of people jostled together, I did not see one miserable or angry drunk. Everyone was friendly and polite. Yes. <laughs> I could picture it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, me too. You know, uh, I heard your story when you were doing playing with the fast and the slow and so forth. I didn't connect to it at all, and mm -hmm. I think the same with Delta is that I really had a hard time connecting with with <laughs> Mr. Guru, and and, and I, I I actually heard and I. I could visualize the you being in the crowd and all of, all the details, and I I really felt the feelings about when you said when the when the when they finally scored a goal is that I really felt the energy of the crowd. So thank you. You did a did a good job. Yeah. That did yeah, and I think consciously yeah. I varied the speed a lot. Yeah, there, there is a big difference with uh, what Leslie and I read. Mine is more on the spiritual uh, uh, path that a guru, I didn't write it, I, I just read it. And I, I like Leslie's writing because I know the Japanese culture. You cannot write this the way Leslie uh, uh, is writing it if you've never been there. You have to feel the nuances of the Japanese people to 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 uh, interpret it in a way in your writing that we understand it, especially for me. Like when you said, after the one zero for Iran, and then all of a sudden it became one. The Japanese were angry, but at the end of that, they're still very polite. I can see that. <laughs> I oh, can they weren't angry. They were excited. <laughs> they were happy because Japan had scored, yeah. right? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, and they bow. Oh God, I got tired of them bowing. <laughs> I was there, I was there for two nights overnight coming here uh, when I left the Philippines. Oh, I said, oh gee. So two days, and you see a stark difference between that culture and any other culture. Yeah, yeah. You know, even you watch them talking on the phone, and they even bow on the phone exactly. when they're talking. Yeah, exactly. yeah, <laughs> yeah. I feel it. Thank you. Well, another thing from your writing is having a pitch. And so from that story that you gave, it gives some little bits that you could use as a pitch or giving people a flavor. Uh, in the package that you have to submit sometimes for your story, for whether it's going to be on the air or whether it's going to be in one of these uh, audio books, they want pitches from a few sound bites. So that way that you felt comfortable. It, it, I think the comfort you had with it we were there because you were there enjoying it. And so the words reflected that, but also your variations in tone made us feel it. Okay, Neil, did you want to read a part of one of, you said you wrote something new for today? I did. A story. It's a story. It's called Universum Fabulum, which is uh, translated as the universal fable. Fable. Latin, right? Latin. Fabulum and fable would be interchangeable here. But anyway, universal fabulum. 
I am not a scientist, nor prone to believing in magic, and to suggest the books voluntarily jumped off the shelf as I approach would be to stretch credulity. But that is what I saw. It moved as it were pushed from inside the library stacks, flew outward and tumbled to the floor. I was walking in the stacks in the basement of the University of London along aisle 326. I could not just pass by and leave it, for not for neatness, but for the sake of curiosity, what would make a book fall, or as it appeared, jump from the shelves in the stacks? I was very much alone except for the dour-faced guardian sitting at the desk next to the elevators, but for the lack of cobwebs, it looked as though she hadn't moved in centuries. I noted the book title, Universum Fabula, and started to return the book to the shelf from which it had fallen. It was quite ordinary size, five by nine, primarily speckled on the front in the color with four inches black circle, two thirds of the way up the cover. I'm sorry I'm losing this, but anyway, two thirds of the way up the cover with the words, uh, uh, Universum Fabula written across it. I looked at the shelf and there was nothing obvious that would have caused it to move in such a manner. I flipped the book open and noted it had been typeset in ancient English script. It was not the words that caught my attention, but a wooden, a woodcut style picture of a cart loaded with what appeared to be bundles of hay being pulled by a man. What struck me as odd was that the cart had no wheels, yet it was shown to be several feet off the ground that the man stood on. Intrigued, I took the book under my arm and carried on to my objective, a treatise on the Babylonian mythology on the Epic of Gilgamesh. I was doing a paper on the growing belief that the genius of the Babylonians was with the teachings of an Anunnaki, and I thought it my duty to help them correct the error that they, the way they treat, treat, were treated on this planet. The Bible writers had usurped the creation story that belonged to the Persians and their mentors, the Anunnaki. I'm sorry the reading was a little rough, but that's the first time I've read it, read it out loud. <laughs> so here's the idea is he's walking down the stacks in the, and by the way, I've been in the stacks of the University of London and a book jumps out of the shelf and falls to the floor. And that's the beginning of the story. It was interesting. I was thinking, you know, with, with sound effects added to stories, you know, you could have that sound of the book. <laughs> <laughs> uh, other points, because I was picturing 
the woman or whether it was the spirit that he encountered, uh, I think colors, when you're listening to the story, there's a part of your brain that's looking to fill it in and to see the story. So we could continue with doing some other things with inflections and sounds that could help take people into the story and picture themselves there in a place that they've never been. And the commitment this person had, even though he was surprised by a book falling into his pathway. You know what I was thinking that I did not place him in the library. I did not get him there, describe the library. I didn't set him in a setting. I, I, I was so intrigued by the idea of a book jumping into his way that I didn't really think about telling how unusual that would be given the circumstances. I didn't describe the circumstances. So I got to go back over that, but anyway. Yeah, I didn't think about that, Neil, because I thought this was just an extract, right? So anyway, it's an intriguing start to your story. Yeah. No, I like it. I like it already, Neil. I felt I, I, I felt a little bit of how that basement library looked like by the way you described the book. Yeah. You don't need much. Now, I felt it. I felt like I was in that uh, uh, London place in the, bas- in the basement of the library. In the way you described it, look briefly. The past three days, it's continuing on today. I'm missing part of it, but everybody knows the company Adobe, right? The mm-hmm. reader, Adobe Reader. First thing that they gave us was that reader where you could read documents that were formatted different way. But Adobe has 19 different programs, and every year they have this thing called Adobe Max. It's like going to the circus <laughs> and the science fair and to a Hollywood uh, show all at the same time, because each presenter came with it in a different way. But what they one theme that ran all the way through was around collaboration. In the old ways, people would be just shut up with their material. You know, sometimes people take down homes of of hoarders, and there are all these books, everything that the person read, or paintings that they made, but they never shared them with the world. And so now they were showing for different groups of people, just like we're here talking now, across the world, storytelling and sharing your story and getting the feedback from other people, not being so sensitive, like you said in the artist's way, not taking it as a crime if you share something and people give you feedback. Because different people from filmmakers to artists, the people that have developed new things, totally new things for editing (laughs) on (laughs) software, how collaboration, opening yourself to feeling like not somebody's not attacking you, they're not taking something away when they give you your feedback. And so just with, you know, Neil said, now I hadn't thought about the library and what it looks. And then from listening to Michelle's, you know, Obama's story about the, the cheese and the toast and laying everything out, and then Leslie taking us into the, the bar, and I'm feeling, you know, is that way they're going to slosh that beer? <laughs> they got to balance it things that you can play with so that collaboration and feedback is a good thing that helps people to enhance and not having the mindset of, oh, if I tell somebody, they might steal it. 
<laughs> and if people that have shared, more people today are collecting their work in an anthology. We talked about the anthology that Warren Dean has from the Poetry Open Mic Group, bringing people's things together so that everybody could benefit from and enjoy the differences from other people. And so collaboration I think last week and this week, hearing people's story, it gives you a chance to go back in like you were making a meal and say, oh, I'll put a little oregano in, or, oh, I hadn't thought about sage, or, oh, you know, I hadn't thought about if you put it in the refrigerator overnight and left it a day. That's kind of what's happening with a sharing words. It's not a thing to attack anyone, but a way that we can grow and be excited about the process because as one person hears somebody else venture out, be brave enough to share their words, we had some people email me their poems. They said, well, I I didn't want to read it, but I want you to know I wrote a poem. I wrote a tribute poem and then someone about three months ago that I had in a write write a tribute poem read their poem in a poetry group we had on Saturday. took her that many months and said, now she felt like I don't feel afraid. I don't feel like anyone's attacking me when I'm exposing my child. Your your work, I mean, it's like me, it's your baby. (laughs) And so some people don't want anybody to see their baby forever. And other people, they're there, look at my baby, look at my baby. So that's kind of what we're developing with putting your voice forward and also looking at what little things can we add. When we get out into the marketplace, there's a lot of competition. So many people are writing independent uh, self-published books that the self-publishing printers are now a month behind. Amazon is telling people you can't give a guarantee that the book's going to be released in 10 days because we right now are two weeks behind and we expect to be blah, 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 more further behind. Uh, Same thing with with, uh, Audible that accepts audiobooks. They are behind in the system that they use to listen to the book, approve it, and then put it into their marketing. So that means that we have to, there's a lot of competition. And so to think about any ways that we can help each other to make what we write more engaging so that the goal we have of having it out in the marketplace, whether it's to be sold as a book or people make movies out of books. Book Doom, <laughs> I saw Doom on the, on Monday because that person wrote six different, you know, six different books of Doom. Somebody's made a movie from it. There are people that are making millions of dollars for the movie. So everything we have has that potential to go into the stream. It's just looking at how can we collaborate, how can we use methods people are using to give us feedback so that we can make run faster, further harder and also be out there within the rural community. How are we doing for time? I'm going to have to... uh... Yes, we are right at the end. So Delsa, I want to encourage you to sometimes you say, I'm not a writer, but you wrote a beautiful poem. Just write. (laughs) (laughs) Free your words and they will, they will, uh, they will, they'll come back to celebrate you. We want to have some of your writing and then lots of the people that you uh, encourage to come on that have said, you know, they wouldn't be here today, but they'll be here another time because they like what was going on and they like the idea. And, um, you know, I thank each of you for sharing because that really helps us all to go further faster. And the people who hear, people who might not be here, but they hear it, they'll say, oh, yeah, well, there's this podcast. It's called PoweredByAge.com. You can go on our website and look, and then you can um, 
it's in an email. Well, right on the website, there's a place. If you're interested, you can contact me, and then your email will go into the invitation that we send out weekly for the podcast. So does anyone else have any closing words or thoughts? The next time we see each other, it'll be daylight savings time, <laughs> the end of daylight savings time, and we'll be close to getting darker. So have a safe and joyful holiday. Happy Halloween. Halloween. <laughs> I was going to say, oh, yeah, it's that's not a holiday, but Halloween. it's such a big customer. The BC Electric said that they expect the bills that people have already are spending astronomically beyond what they spent in previous years for Halloween decorations, the ones that with with lots of lights and power. And they were kind of giving an encouragement to people to don't put out so much that you blow the power <laughs> the power lines for your neighborhood. I'm gonna see if I can show is it see the crow hanging on the on the on the wall? See the crow hanging on the wall? Oh, I see the crow. Yeah. That's my crow. That's my Halloween expense. Where is it? Say? The crow. Where is, where is the crow? It's, it's hanging on the wall. Okay. Now I see it. Cause I, oh, my God. Did you make that? No, 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 no. I, I just, I bought it for Halloween. Okay, nice. Scary, scary crow. Nice. Okay, well, enjoy, and I look forward to seeing you. Remember to remind a friend or others that we have this weekly program and that we're going into the next level of teaching more people not only how to use Zoom, but how to uh, do their recordings of their work. Ciao for now. Ciao for now. Bye. Love you all. Bye-bye. See you guys. Bye.